Welcome back to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne, and on today's podcast, I speak with photographer Pete Thompson. Pete just released a new book titled 93 Till, A Photographic Journey Through Skateboarding in the 1990s, which documents some of the most legendary skateboarders such as Tony Hawk, Neil Blender, Tom Penny, Danny Way, and Arto Sari, to name a few. Pete spent much of the 1990s and early 2000s working as a staff photographer for skateboard magazines such as Slap and Transworld Skateboarding. In this interview, I speak to Pete about how he got into photography, his experiences traveling the world, documenting some of the best skateboarders on the planet. And I also speak to Pete about his process of publishing his new book. Pete is someone whose work I've been looking up to uh, since I was a kid, looking at the pages of Transworld Skateboarding. So I was really excited to get a chance to speak with him and kind of hear about his journey with photography and uh, as well as his new book, 93 Till, which I highly recommend picking up. I'll put a link in the description. Um, really amazing photography and stories just kind of about his travels and different legendary skateboarders is a really amazing stuff. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy this one and thanks so much for listening. All right. Well, now welcome on Pete Thompson, man. How we doing, Pete? Uh, really excited to talk to you, man. Like your new book came out. 93 till right here highly recommended for anybody but uh how you doing man i'm good man i'm good just you know daylight savings is a little weird but yeah it is weird it's like 7 30 right here on the east coast and i feel like it's midnight right now yeah right like it's it's, it's <laughs> like is it last call right now yeah pretty much uh but uh yeah man i guess i was excited to talk to you We've kind of been going back and forth um with your new book that came out and i, I really enjoyed it i guess like what was kind of the journey of kind of putting this together, I guess? Like, is it something you'd been thinking about working on for a while, just kind of putting this book together? Or what was kind of the process for you? Yeah, I mean, it's it was, you know, it was way, honestly, it was like way more time and way more money than I ever thought it would have ended up being. Oh, yeah. Um, it was just like, uh, you know, a huge learning curve, just because there's so much stuff that I didn't know about making books stuff that like most people just you know you wouldn't know unless you've been through it before yeah um but uh you know the first thing that you have to do is you have to figure out where all your photos are and it's not always that easy yeah that was the most amazing thing because like i've obviously i grew up looking at your work and different skate mags and whatnot and i obviously knew you you photographed so many skaters but even myself when i got this book it was just incredible just to see how many different skaters from different parts of the country, the world that you kind of documented, like when you were even putting this together, was it kind of a interesting journey kind of going back and kind of looking at your past and all the, your photography. Cause some of the stuff, like some of your early photos are from like 1988 and like super early nineties. So it's like incredible uh, glimpse into skateboarding. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that is, uh, you know, there was definitely the intention of having as many different people in the book as possible. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't have photos of like, you know, Costin or something like that, like yep. skating or anything, you know. So it was like, okay, I don't have photos of him skating. He's a huge part of the nineties, but you know, I had these other photos too, which which actually ended up working out almost almost better for the direction that I wanted to take it. Yeah. Uh, I didn't want it to be a bunch of skate photos. Just yeah, that's yeah, the photos I really responded to the most was like, 
like uh you're like all the skaters in uh at pulaski park like in dc and it's just like all these kids that are probably like i don't know how old you guys were at that point probably like teenagers early 20s maybe and it was just kind of the group photos and it wasn't even skating it was just kind of this the whole culture and this kind of the scene pretty much yeah i mean you know that was an important part of it uh just to have um you know as many uh there we go it's in the you're good. Uh, just to have as many uh, of those photos as I could. Um, uh, but also just to show like, you know, different portions of my journey as a photographer, you know? Um, and it's also, I mean, I feel like with skate photos, it's really hard to understand uh, uh, how good a skate photo is, um, you know? five years, 10 years, 15 years after it was taken. Yeah. Because kids look at it and they're like, oh, well, I don't, you know, whatever. I, I could have done that, you know, or, you know, that spot is blown up. Like if you shot something at the, on the Hollywood 16, you know, back then it's like, compared to what's happened on it now, it'd be like, well, why are we even looking yeah. at this picture? Like, yeah, why, so why this- I saw <laughs> some, ki- some kid last week switch front blunt slid the, the Hollywood 16. I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I saw that. I was like, um, I was like, yeah, dude, what's it like being for another planet? <laughs> Pretty know. much, man. And but, I guess like being that you had so many photos to go through, like what was kind of your editing process of like putting this together? Like, like you kind of touched on a little bit, but like what was kind of your goal of like, cause like editing your photos, like when you're going through this mini and putting it in a, a book, is like a tough process. I would imagine. Cause you want it to be like a cohesive body of work and, I guess what was kind of your editing process of putting it together? You know, it was, it was honestly like a lot of it was just like what was important to me personally. Yeah. You know, and I, I knew, I mean, I feel like stepping away from skateboarding for 15 years gave me the ability to be like, okay, I know what the story I want to tell. And that story isn't necessarily sort of rooted in skateboarding. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to tell a story about, you know, who these guys were and, you know, you know, the contributions that they made to skateboarding, not necessarily the skateboarding itself. Yeah. So, you know, having a picture of like, you know, a Jai Bondarov or a, a portrait of Dustin Dolan or something like that, like, you know, you're never going to show kids how important these skateboarders are with skate shots. Mm-hmm. I think there's certain certain photos that you maybe can do that with, but for the most part, it, you, you know, you're not gonna, you know, you're you're not gonna be like this is this is why Dustin Dolan mattered, and here he is doing a trick that any sort of sponsored amateur kid could do now. It's yeah. hard to it's hard to make people see that. And so, I think it, it's it's interesting. I'm sure like some younger kids are definitely going to pick this book up. And I'm sure like a younger kid who's skating now, he might not know who Phil Shaw is, but he got to like, there's like a really great uh, quote and someone was talking about him. I think, I don't know if it was you, you, you wrote it or something, but it, it's just kind of interesting. Like people, people from all ages and uh, generations of skateboarding, they can kind of look at this and it's like, you can learn about who came before and who before like Nigel and all these guys are around now. So it's kind of a, like an interesting thing i guess anybody can kind of look at it i guess yeah i mean it's uh you know the the phil shell thing was interesting uh you know 
because and, and interesting and relevant because he the way that he skated was so similar to the way that people uh set out to skate today mm-hmm. of being the you know atv all-terrain guy and it wasn't necessarily cool back then to be that guy yeah um and so uh i think that you know setting aside space <clears throat> in the book for people like that was my way of saying like you know what you got to give these guys credit like they were doing something that wasn't cool mm-hmm. and if you had the confidence and the wherewithal to sort of see that style of skateboarding being important back then and then to actually go out and try to do that like is it's it's hard going against the it's hard going against the grain it was even harder going against the grain in 94 95 yeah because like that was the interesting thing about your book is you shot a lot of vert skaters and a lot of the street skaters and it's like do you feel like because you came a little bit before my generation i started skating in like 96 but really didn't start to learn about like everything the whole culture of it until probably like 99 2000 when i was a little older but like so like in the early 2000 early 90s like like you said it was this kind of you're either kind of a ramp skater or kind of street skaters. It's kind of two different groups pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was because I think the reason for that was because that street skating was still trying to figure out what it was. Yeah. You know, so it was, it was almost like, a, uh, you know, it was, it was almost like specialized street skating was specialized. Yeah. Because it was so uh, experimental. And so like, you know, what, what do you do with a pole that's been bent over? Oh, it's a Wally pull Wally thing. You know what I mean? Like all of those things had to be invented. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, I think that it required uh, skateboarding to sort of, uh, you know, compartmentalize. You guys are street skaters. You guys are vert skaters. And then every once in a while, there'd be someone that kind of like danced around between uh, between those things. And if you did that well and you looked good, you didn't look like a street skater skating vert. You didn't look like a vert skater skating street. Uh, I feel like those guys, um, you know, that was that sort of became like the the, the template for you know uh, guys like Raven Terche or um, you know Grant Taylor. Yep. Um, some of the, some of those guys that were just like, I'm just gonna rip everything um, and make it all look good. Mm. you know which was it was tough it was tough you know yeah i guess for you like what came first was it skateboarding and then photography or how did that kind of come about for you it was skateboarding first yeah yeah like it was like skateboarding was just like um you know it was something that uh i really liked the fact that it didn't matter how good you were you know, um, you know, it didn't, it didn't matter what other kids thought or, you know, it was just like, it was just a rebellious thing, you know? So it was like, you had like the punk rock dudes and the heavy metal dudes and Hesh dudes and all that other stuff. And the skateboarders were sort of like peppered in with all those, uh, all those guys. Yeah. Because the attitude that they had about the world was so similar, Yep. you know? And so, um, uh, you know, definitely skateboarding um, first. And then, um, you know, I was sponsored. Uh, I was like a mini ramp. I was like, I skated a little bit of vert. 
a little bit of street. I just yeah. love skating in ramp too, but that was the main thing. And then, you know, pretty much figured out kind of quickly that I wasn't going to cut it, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and just started to shoot photos. But, you know, because I was uh, a, a skateboarder who had traveled around the East coast a lot, uh, to, you know, NSA, ESA contests or whatever, you know, I, I had made friends with a lot of these guys, <laughs> you know, I skated against like Mike Frazier and wow. you know, Hendrix and all these guys. And, you know, I remember meeting Ted Newsom, who became the art director at Transworld at a contest in, in Daytona, Florida. And like, you know, everybody in the East Coast at that time knew each other. Yep. Because if it was cold up north, they would come down south. Yeah. And then in the summertime, the guys down south, when it was really hot, would try to go somewhere where water wasn't. You know, and so it's definitely like people in Boston knew people in D.C. People in D.C. knew people in Tampa. Like everyone knew everyone. And so yeah. going from skateboarding to skateboard photography, uh, I'd already sort of like kind of forged those paths in, in some ways. Yeah. Um, so I could call people up and be like, Hey dude, like we're going to come skate and I want to take some photos too. And they were like, yeah, sure. You know? So, yeah. Yeah. Cause we're, cause looking at the book, like, it seems like you got roots in like North Carolina and then there's some stuff in like Northern California. Like where did you grow up and kind of initially get into skateboarding and photography, I guess. Well, when I lived in Northern California is when I started skate, I started skateboarding in Northern California when I was like 10. Yeah. Uh, and that was like, I remember buying, I don't know if I bought my first board, but I remember going to Sessions Skate Shop in Sunnyvale. Yeah. And like getting on the bus and riding there. I was like 10. It was like an hour away and I was like 10. <laughs> yeah. 11-year-old kid getting on the bus. Yeah. Sessions. But we go, you know, me and a couple of friends, we would go there. You know, that's where we get boards or Palo Alto Skate Shop. And, you know, that went on until... I turned 12 or 13 and then we moved, my family moved to North Carolina. Okay. Um, so I think that that kind of, you know, I've thought a lot about this since the book has come out and had a lot of conversations about this with people, but I think the difference maker with East coast skateboarders at that time was some kind of connection to California. You know, like uh, I talked to Andy Howell about this a lot and he somehow convinced his parents to like fly him to California or something when he was like 14 or <laughs> some crazy age or whatever. Yeah. And he hung out with Gons. Wow. Like went street skating with Gons and like Ed Templeton and stuff. Uh, I think Gons, definitely Gons. I think Ed Templeton, maybe. But that alone puts you in a mindset of oh this 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 is possible yeah like i can go to california and i can do what these guys in california are doing um but if you lived on the east coast and you didn't have any of that it was really hard to imagine your skate world coming in contact with the world that you looked at when you opened a magazine. Yeah. Cause all the, all the magazines were in California, like either Thrasher and slap or in like Northern California. And then trans world was like in like San Diego, I think. So it was, yeah. yeah, it was like all the mags were on the, in California pretty much. Yeah. And in order to like break that, 
like invisible barrier. I remember talking to Jamie Thomas about this. He said that he saw what Markovich did. Mm-hmm. And Markovich had like this crazy support from his family. They like, I, I think they packed up their entire lives and moved out to California once Chris was like starting to like, you know, blow up. Yeah. But, you know, you had to get out there. You had to get to California. Yeah. You had to see that this thing that you did in your hometown and in wherever Georgia or something uh, with eight or 10 other kids in a dirty parking lot, you had to see that, that what you were doing in your hometown mm-hmm. translated to a, the bigger picture in California. And if you had that connection, like I did, like I was super lucky mm-hmm. that I lived in California and I skated for a couple of years and then moved to the East coast because I was like, my mind, my mindset was still in California. California. Kinda. Yeah, because yeah, you had some like awesome. You went uh, to like some YMCA skate camp and had like photos of like Danny Way yeah. and, and Neil Blender. Yeah. And I thought it was great. The, uh, the one of my favorite things you took a picture of the actual ca- point and shoot camera. Camera, I think it was like a Konica little yeah. thirty-five millimeter point and shoot, and it was this like, yeah, some of your early photos is from like that that like camp. I guess it was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean that was uh, after I moved to North Carolina. Mm-hmm. when i was like 13 or 14 my parents sent me to skate camp which was in santa clara wow which was you know 30 minutes from where i grew up yeah so i was like oh i'm back here in northern california again so the, the thing that you have, that people have to understand about those skate camps back then is that <laughs> the idea of having somewhere to skate with ramps and yeah. pros that you could watch was like, like some kids at camp didn't even skate. They just really? sat and watched. Oh, wow. They're, it was and just like were, their parents just dropped them off for the week or something pretty much. Yeah. Or they flew them there. I mean, I got flown there. Yeah. You know, my parents were, you know, my parents, you know, in terms of like my childhood and the, the beginning of photography, my parents were really into experiences. Okay. They wanted, they wanted me and my brother to like go places and do things rather than, you know, oh, here's a, you know, here's the here's new the, Nintendo, here's Nintendo. The game, the Nintendo <laughs> thing you wanted or whatever. Yeah. They were like, nah, you're, we'll, we'll, we'll pay for shit, but it's got to be like, you know, an a, a experience-based type thing. Yeah. So they sent me to camp and uh, that's where I met. Uh, a bunch of people, but most importantly, Jake Rosenberg. Wow. We were but, both campers. Oh, he was a camper too? Yeah, we were both campers. He is from Los Altos. So for him, camp was 20 minutes away. Damn. Um, but uh, he had mutual friends of mine that I grew up with in Palo Alto. So it was like, oh, you're Jake Rosenberg. You're the guy that, you know, you know some of my friends that I used to skate with when I lived in Northern California before I moved to North Carolina. And, but the funny part about Jake is that me and him and like maybe two or three other people were the only kids at camp that wanted to skate vert. Interesting. All the other campers went and skated the street course, which was where Matt Hensley, uh, Brian Lottie, Ezekiel, like, you know, um, 
who Ray Barbie was there. Wow. Like, yeah, like everybody was there. And that's where they all hung out at mostly is the street course. So me and Jake, we skated the small vert ramp, which was like nine feet tall. And then the big ramp, which was like 12 feet tall. And all of the vert dudes that were skating with us weren't campers. They were just pros who had heard about skate camp and wanted to skate there and literally drove from wherever they were yeah. to, go, to just barge on yeah. the skate camp. And yeah. Be, yeah. There. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. Cause you mentioned in your book how like back then, like even me, like growing up, like, uh, there wasn't like they just built the skate park in Boston like four years ago. They got their first park, really. And it's like, like you said, back then, there really there wasn't skate parks like the way there is now. Like you can literally go anywhere in the country and there's like, yeah, best skate parks that are built by like amazing companies. And it's amazing. Totally. But back then, I love the pictures because they're just like these shitty like plywood ramps, like no yeah. and they no skate light didn't even exist back then. It's just yeah. like real rugged, like the vert ramps were like not wide, wide at all so yeah, oh totally yeah i mean it was like i mean but that was what's so amazing about skateboarding back then is that okay let's just go ahead and say the shoes sucked <laughs> the board sucked like indie trucks were great yeah that was cool that's still pretty standard yep the spots sucked <laughs> like the fact that anything got done back then is pretty amazing yeah you, know, you, like, you really had to love it yeah, you really had to love it and you really had to be patient in terms of discovering what skateboarding was. Um, a friend of mine, I think it was Elias Bingham, mm -hmm. who runs uh, No Comply. He, we were talking, I don't know, a couple months ago, and we sort of came up with this like analogy for skateboarding back then, which was like, somebody hands you a tennis racket and tells you to go to the North Pole and learn how to play tennis. Yeah. And every time you go and you find like something like a, some kind of flat area, they tell you leave. And the yeah. only thing that you have to play with is this tennis racket and like a, like a snowball or something. Yeah, man. You <laughs> like, just you know got, what I mean? like, you what got am I doing with this? Like, I don't even know what this is. Like, what, <laughs> you know, that kind of, it just felt like that. It just felt like, uh and it felt like in order to discover and do new things on a skateboard you had to be really really like you said you had to be really dedicated and you had to be really like just relentless mm. and die hard and creative yeah yeah and I, and I feel like 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 being a skateboarder and at least for me like once i found like when i first started off and you find like a couple friends that also skate and like have a tight skate crew that just like even excels it even more because it's like you kind of feed off the other people doing it like do you kind of remember like did you kind of have like a little skate crew like growing up or you kind of just doing it yourself pretty much well we i mean i had a little skate crews growing up and stuff and um you know Northern California versus North Carolina. In Northern California, you had people to watch that yeah. were like pro, like Caballero lived in San Jose. Damn. You know, Tommy Guerrero lived in, in the city. Like, you know, those guys were close uh, and the videos were out as well. Um, but, and, you know, so we sort of looked up to that. Yep. But then in North Carolina, it was like, whatever was in a video or a magazine was on another planet. Yeah. Like that, that was another whole 
like you couldn't wrap your mind you couldn't wrap your mind around it you know for sure it just seemed like this thing that was happening in sunny beautiful california yeah man you know (laughs) i remember yeah yeah, i was the same way yeah growing up in massachusetts is like the same thing i was just like yeah you look at transworld every month as a subscription you see all these like like the Carlsbad Gap and all these famous spots, and it's just like, yeah, it's just like an, another world. But it's, uh, totally. but it's, yeah. But I guess like when you're kind of in North Carolina and skating out there, like when did you? Was there a point when you kind of started to take your photography more seriously? Because I know you ended up going to work for like Slap and I think Transworld at one point. But when did kind of photography kind of take over for you? I guess. You know, honestly, uh, it was around the time that like. I was figuring out that skateboarding, me being a skateboarder just wasn't gonna work. Yep. You know, there's way more kids. There's way there's way more people that were better than me around and yeah. Yeah. This is yeah, this ain't gonna work. Yeah, you gotta <laughs> like, be really good. Yeah. And crazy and just yeah, a, a totally different breed of person, I think, was a, was made a great skateboarder back then. But mm-hmm. um um uh i was at a street contest in north carolina and all of these guys from dc showed up uh, i remember it was like steve teague who was like a big dc you know one of the, the main dc guys at the time uh and i knew who he was and i think there was a couple other people there maybe from new york or philly but i met lance dawes and I wasn't, I mean, I was sort of kind of taking photos here and there with a point and shoot camera or mm-hmm. crappy SLR camera. But I remember talking to him and I think he said, hey, I'm going I'm, I'm to, I'm either going to California or I'm getting ready to, or I'm, I'm living there now or whatever. And I'm doing this magazine um, out of San Francisco. I don't know if he even said it was part of Thrasher yeah he's like yeah so you want to send me some photos and i was like i was like yeah yeah of course you know and to me honestly the way that skateboarding looks today um a big part of that is lance dawes how how so just with like slapping everything just kind of the creativity behind it so you take so you take slap, which was this sort of groundbreaking concept of, oh, we're going to cover what's happening in San Francisco in street skating, which Thrasher actually resisted mm. for a while. Yeah. Um, for a while, Thrasher was like, you know, who are these kids down in Embarcadero and flipping their boards everywhere and they look goofy, like, you know, they. I think Thrasher sort of like shunned them off a little bit at first, just from what I understand. Yeah. Um, but Lance embraced those guys, and then he also embraced all of the culture of East Coast skateboarding because he's from uh, Silver Springs. Yeah, he's from DC area. Yeah. So when he took those two things, the neglected street skating in San Francisco, the neglected street skating in the East Coast. And he put them together and, you know, peppered in the hip hop culture, punk, punk rock culture, and just this rawness. Mm-hmm. I think 
it was exactly what skateboarding needed at that moment. Wow. And I think that it made the other magazines, it, it lit a fire under, under the ass of the other magazines, I yeah. think. You ask Lance, he's probably like, uh, you know, he's like, you know, he's like the reluctant dude is not going to take any credit for stuff. But I know I'm, I'm giving you credit, Lance. Yeah, that's one thing. Because like, yeah, because even back then, like growing up, like when I was early 2000s, late 90s skating, like the only times you'd ever see like a lot of East Coast photos, photos was like if they did like a like an East Coast issue or maybe like some East Coast article. And it was still yeah. this very California driven, which I get because all the companies were there. But yeah, slap more than anything, like you would see a lot more New York and, you know, some Philly stuff. Yeah. And like, yeah, it was yeah. just a, a mix of people, you know. Yeah. And the other thing that I think that and I told I saw Lance uh, last week, actually, uh, I, I told Lance this. I was like, dude your contribution to skateboarding in that way you know obviously shaped the way that we look at skateboarding mm -hmm. but also from the standpoint of like he had to create he had to do an entire magazine more or less by himself yeah i mean he had help from like cossack yep and a couple other guys that were sending him photos but like by and large like he had to come up with a shit ton of content yeah, because he was he, at that point. He was was he shooting photos himself at that point as oh, yeah. well as well oh, as yeah. run the magazine that's doing everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh God, I don't even know how he did it. It's like <laughs> wow, but yeah. you know, and he had like two or three people helping him. Jamie Riley, I don't know if Way In was there yet. Uh, who went on to I think work for DC or something. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, it's like, you know, the amount of images that he must have shot is. I, I, I'm sure is like just stunning, you know. Yeah. So but, that I mean, honestly, like, but you think about it, like, you know, when you take Thrasher and Transworld, um, and you think about the way that they saw skateboarding in 1992 or mm -hmm. 1990, 1991, you know, it's kind of like business as usual. You know, they've been doing it for a long time. The vert skaters rule, and like they had a formula. Know, yeah, it was a formula, and they knew they knew. Okay contests matter and we're going to go cover this skate contest in tempe arizona and it's like chris miller and Josoy and gator and all these guys it's like felt like it was like business as usual and yeah. honestly i honestly i'll say it again i think lance and the whole idea of slap really just slap yeah everybody across the face yeah like, we're here yeah, we're just skating, doing their thing. Yeah. I remember I remember growing up and I'm reading about like, because in California, they had this thing called like castle contests, which yeah. was like a yeah. contest circuit. And for me yeah. back then, I was like, what the fuck is that? Because I was like, on the East Coast, they didn't have anything like that. There was no like skateboard contest league. And I don't. it was just very interesting. I remember, yeah, like the contest thing didn't really exist, except for like occasionally like the local skate park would have like a contest. And it was just basically just kind of run by whoever owned the park or something like that. It was just yeah. a whole different kind of ecosystem, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, it, it's contests matter. Yep. And I, I think that along with Lance and slap came the, uh, the technology of being able to put, you know, a camera into a kid's hands and be like, show us your, scene you yeah know? it democratized uh 
skate media. Yeah. Here we go. It's for every for every four or five dudes that come out of a scene, there's a filmer and hopefully yep. a photographer. Yeah. And definitely. that yeah, that changed things as well, definitely, on top of Lance uh sort of shining a light on um urban street kids. Yeah. Street skating. Cause like at that point when Lance is starting slapping, you're kind of helping. Were you were you basically just kind of contributing, or you're kind of like on the staff at that point? And like, who were you kind of shooting, and what were you kind of submitting? I guess to the early days of slap. I mean, honestly, like a lot of that time I spent trying to learn how to shoot photos. Yep. Very experimental. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I shot during that period of time that looked like shit. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, uh, I was shooting a lot with the DC guys. I was doing, um, you know, traveling up to like Philly and stuff like that. Um, but the slap time, the slap years didn't last that long. It was like two and a half years for me. Okay. You know, um, and then, um, and then I started working for Transworld. So yeah. what was like those early days, like you said, with slapping, you're like just kind of driving around shooting your NC uh, guys and driving up to DC. Was this kind of like, was Lance kind of giving you ideas like, hey, go shoot these guys? Or was it just purely like what you wanted to shoot and you were just kind of doing your thing pretty much? I mean, it was Lance helping out in that way. He definitely helped out in like, a, oh, uh, you know, he knew all the guys in DC and he sort of like sort of spearheaded that. Um, like, oh, you know, he'd call up Andy Stone and be like, hey, this guy is going to come shoot photos and you know you know it's just like yeah that kind of direction but also i just wanted to shoot photo i just wanted to travel as much as possible and shoot photos as much as possible and just like experiment yeah. you know like that yeah. was just super fun yeah, because I was looking at the book, like, the 94, 95, like, you were all over the fucking place because, like, all the photos, yeah. you're like, I was like, damn, where the fuck, this guy, you literally were traveling all the time. So it'd be like Philly, D.C., North Carolina, San Francisco, and yeah. it's, like, all over the place. And, like, yeah. I guess in those early days of photography, like, how are you kind of learning the craft? Was anybody kind of helping you along? Did you take any classes? Or is this really this kind of trial and error for you? It was trial and error. Yeah. I mean, I had a hard time with focus yeah yeah i did yeah this yeah, is Lance, this is this is pre pre autofocus days this is this no 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 there was autofocus oh was there yeah yeah but you know like there's something about shooting skate photos where uh you know you're just shooting a moving objects mm -hmm. and you're not gonna you're not gonna track them yep you, you can probably track them now with the technology but you couldn't track them then mm-hmm and you, uh, you know, I had to, I had to start to understand what depth of field was and how much flexibility that would give you. Um, and just like starting to look at photos through a loop. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, when you're not, when you don't have a trained eye for looking at transparencies mm -hmm. uh, through a loop, uh, things look like they're in focus. Oh yeah, that's sharp. Yep. You know, and I remember going to, uh, I was going to, I think I was in slaps. I only went to slap like a, like two or three times. Yep. And I remember me that maybe once like Lance being like, come here and look at this picture. And I looked at it and it was just like, just razor sharp. 
Yeah. And uh, he's like, that's a sharp photo. Wow. That's what a sharp photo looks like. And I was like, I I eye opening. Now you now you knew. Now now you needed. That's what you needed to go after, pretty much. Uh, yeah. I, well, I, but not only is it like you're training yourself your, yourself to shoot photos, but you're also training yourself to look at photos mm-hmm. and be like, this is sharp. This this is a good photo. This is this is printable. Yep. Um, and so you know, learning all that stuff, the film was insane. Yep. If you're shooting something now and you have digital and it's not sharp you're like oh it's not sharp <laughs> just crank up that and sharp. then the next try you refocus yeah whereas there it was like you go through the entire trick and not have a single photo in focus yeah yeah and, and it's got expensive like with film and yeah. processing and everything and it was a lot slower yeah. process back then and it was just a lot more to it than like like yeah, yeah. like you said now you can just buy a little memory card and shoot like 2,000 photos on it yeah yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, uh, you know, and there's also like a distance that you go when you shoot film where you shoot it. And then after a couple of days, um, you may have sort of, you know, loosened your grip on what you were going for in the picture mentally. Yep. So that when you sit down and you look at it on the light table, it's not an instant uh an instant expectation yeah you know you start to see other things in the picture that you're like you're like oh this isn't really wanted what i wanted to do with the picture but i do like this over here mm-hmm. whereas if you did that do that on the spot you're more likely to be like no no no, i'm going to tweak all the buttons until i get exactly what i want yeah which is good too but you know seeing the the having distance from it uh really helps uh expand your idea of what um what's possible what's relevant in the frame Mm -hmm. you know i feel feel like that like never changes even with my own work like i've been talking to my friends about this it's just like it's a constant evolution like the work i looked at that i shot like two years ago is like completely different to what i do now and it's just like do you feel now like i know you do a lot of really cool like commercial and lifestyle work now um do you feel like it, your your work is still a constant evolution of this kind of chipping away at it, trying new stuff? Okay. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I mean, it's like, you know, you can have a certain idea of what you wanted to do with something. Um, and I think there's a certain point that you reach in uh, your career, if you're a photographer, where you get it to a boiling point mm-hmm. and then you almost start to intentionally make mistakes interesting or, or or leave leave enough space over here for mistakes to happen yeah you know like sometimes if you have motion blur in a photo it can actually look really great it has sometimes it has this like romantic just a little bit yeah a little bit of motion blur it just gives it this like romantic kind of feel to it sometimes if it's a portrait i think yeah you know, or go ahead no this is no it's an interesting point i think like because the longer you do it at least for me the longer i do it there you certainly you got your bag of tricks like you go into whatever shoot you're doing whatever it's like an editorial shoot or mm-hmm. commercial and you know like you got these certain bag of tricks and you know they're going to work every time but then something i've been trying to do myself is just like you know try something different like 
Uh, like I've been fucking around with some different lights just to just to mix it up instead of kind of getting stuck doing the same thing over and over, you know? Yeah, I mean, you can you can uh, you can do so much with photography, and I think that that's part of that process that I'm talking about, reaching that tipping point yep. where you've learned how to use the tools so well that you can start to uh, let one of those tools uh, uh, sort of, you can let one of those tools go mm-hmm. and see what happens. Definitely. That's what keeps like, it. Because, because if you know how to like reel it back in and get to where you want to be, where, where you feel safe, mm-hmm. then, then that feels, you feel comfortable making mistakes. Cause you're like, Oh, I'm going to let this be fucked up for yeah. a couple of frames because I know how to take it and bring it back where it needs to be where I'm safe and I'm going to get what I, what I, what I usually get, but yeah. you have to know all those tools in order to be able to experiment that way. Otherwise you're just like a chef in the kitchen, just pouring everything yeah. in the pot and you're like, I hope it tastes good. You know? Like, yeah, 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 for sure. That's how I felt like when I first when I got into shooting skating a little bit or when I was younger is I finally got, I got, I had those old quantum, like, uh, not pocket wizards but they were the old quantum ones that had like an antenna and they oh, yeah, yeah. huge radio saves. yeah radio saves they're the yeah. quantum ones they were huge yeah. had an antenna and yeah. i had two flashes and i didn't understand shit about flashes and i i i, I shot i must have shot like 10 20 rolls before i started like understand like flash duration and all this stuff and it's just like trial and error and it's like oh. uh, yeah it's tough. Oh. and that was on film too so it's like yeah. a lot of garbage yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's almost like, you know, funny when when I think about the book and I think about the photos, the photos that I tried to stay away from were fisheye photos for mm-hmm. the most part uh, and photos with flashes. Yeah. I just, the way I see photography now is just like, if you can get natural light or what I do a lot in my work now is uh, try to create light that is fake Yep. but looks natural, yep. uh, which is a crazy learning curve. Yeah. Which never changes. Like you'll always look at your photography and be like, how can I make this light look natural when it's not? Totally. Um, but that was part of the book is like, I just really wish that I would have turned off more flashes yep. and shot daylight, just straight daylight. Well, there was like uh, like in the early 2000s when everyone switched over to shooting Hasselblads with fish eyes. It was like I feel like looking at the work, it was almost a contest to see how many flashes you could use on a picture at some point. So, yeah, well, but, but also, you know, the point behind that also is that if you had more flashes, that showed that you had more time. True. And that you didn't get busted. Yeah. You know, it's like there's some great photos out there from all areas of skateboarding. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, they might you might have had three tries, yep. You know, and then you got kicked out. And so yep. sometimes if it's a shitty quality photo, uh, you know, people are like, oh, okay, cool. That's that's all you're really gonna get. You're not don't have an opportunity to really elaborate on on anything. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like? your years of like being a skateboard photographer. And like you said, like, you know, for people listening that maybe aren't skateboarders, a lot of times these photos where you're shooting someone street skating at some like uh, private uh, building or something, 
you 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 get like two minutes sometimes and you have to have your shit set up like i'm sure you've done this before where you have to have your shit set up on stands around the corner you run up yeah. you set it up and you try to make it happen yeah do you, do you feel like those years of like skateboard photography is like it's kind of shaped the way you approach even like commercial advertising and stuff you do yeah. now yeah totally yeah because it's all it's all improvising like yeah like it's like oh we need to get this picture okay uh you don't have time to run and get a c-stand or a medium roller you can you, you know i can't get yeah. i can't get a boom arm or any kind of thing like that or all right yeah. fine grab this do this hang it off that tree and then <laughs> do this like you know that that's but that applies to basically any kind of photography is being able to adapt i mean mm-hmm. you know the, the one thing that i remember doing when i was an assistant uh for this photographer for like four years was um you shoot and we shot on location a lot <clears throat> and we had a big grip truck yep uh which is like a 15 18 foot moving van looking yep. thing and usually the trucks were white so if we didn't have time to set up a 12 by you know i mean a 12 by frame on stands i would just be like give me the keys to the truck and then I would pull the truck up across the street or wherever we were. Yeah. With the big white giant side bounce. of the truck. Yeah. And be like, there's your bounce. <laughs> That's great, man. Yeah. You know, or if it was windy and you couldn't put up a 12 by because it'd fly away. For sure. Uh, you know, a 12 by being a 12 foot by 12 foot frame with yep. silk or any kind of like fabric on it. Yeah, it's a fusion. Off bounce light in from like across the st- like if you're in the shade and you need to bounce light in you put it way mm-hmm. over here and it- yeah so you just use a truck yeah yeah move, the grip, move the grip truck Fuck it. <laughs> whatever you gotta truck. do man it's just, yeah. you, make, you make it work yeah and you yeah. know one one thing i really enjoyed about the book was you have a ton of amazing quotes from this like legendary skaters everyone from like tony hawk to uh, uh keith huffnagel rest in peace who just <laughs> passed away uh, like arto sorry I guess, like, what was the process of, like, putting that together? Did you kind of do interviews with each of these people? Or, like, how did the quote aspect of the book come together for you? Um, you know, I I wanted to, I mean, the guys that I interviewed I uh, were guys that I knew for the most part. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, I knew what their story was, or at least sort of generally what their story was. Yep. I thought, oh, you know, if I ask so-and-so about, you know, the 90s, um, you know, I know that this is a big part of their career and they would have something to say about it or, you know. Uh, but honestly, the, the, it started off being something where I wanted to connect 90s skateboarding to current uh, trends and current fashion and just the effect that skateboarding has had on culture. Yep. Uh, but that didn't really, really sort of like flesh out. What, what ended up happening is I talked to some, I talked to a lot of the people that were in the book, I talked to them and they sort of um, told stories that had to, that were more personal, mm. you know? Yeah. Arto's, Arto's quote was gnarly. It was yeah. Like- that one like caught me off guard. It's like, yeah, you yeah. basically talked about dealing with depression and that's like why yeah. how he approached like skating gnarly rails and shit because he just was like, fuck it. Like I might die. Like I was just like, damn. Yeah. Man. And that was, I mean, I think that the, the, the him being candid about that as well as Jamie Thomas. Yeah. Or 
Guy Mariano or those guys. To me, that sort of became this sort of subplot of the book to try to um, try to explain to people today who live in a much different world of skateboarding. I think, like, what kind of a what kind of a kid like got into skateboarding back then? Mm. You know, and it was like when you're doing when you're doing something that's not accepted and you're going to get laughed at or you're going to get made fun of or people just scratch their head they don't know anything about it you know it takes a certain type of kid to pursue that and i think a lot of those interviews sort of demonstrate um you know uh a type of kid who uh in a lot of ways is saved by skateboarding. Definitely. You know? Like, uh, you know, there's, you know, moms dropping their kids off at the skate park today, you know, uh, you know, being a skateboarder is, is cool. Like to me, that's crazy, <laughs> you know, but like, you know, I think that when you take the current state of affairs with that and you compare them with like, you know, 93, 94, it's like, you had to really want to be there. Definitely. You had to really have something burning inside of you to pursue this thing that that didn't really have any meaning outside of this little time. Yeah, because that's like, even like Tony Hawk and one of, he had a couple quotes in the book, but one was like, yeah, we were just like, I was living the dream. I wasn't making yeah. any money. And like, he, that was like, yeah, it was crazy. And yeah. it's just like, yeah, like you said, he, he had to love it. And now it's just like interesting Tony Hawk is one. I mean, it seems one of the photos you met him like when you're like a little kid somewhere or something. Yeah, you know? that's crazy. That was in <laughs> that was in Palo Alto. Yeah, yeah. His, his career has been insane to watch. I mean, I've been Dude. watching him on Instagram lately, and it's like he's just even getting better, and he's like 52, and yeah. it's just it's just crazy to watch. You know, he is honestly like the dude is like you can't even you can't even describe it really. I mean, who has that kind of trajectory of 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 something that they're really really passionate about yeah you find people when they're young and they're passionate about it and they really really try and they really just do whatever they can mm -hmm. and you know at event sometimes they're successful sometimes they're not and yep. eventually like reality starts to to to, to, to set in yeah for him to have gone up and down and up and down and then up and up and up and up and up and up and there really, was there was like a point in like the nineties, like when he started getting sponsored by like, I think he was sponsored by like Slim Jim at one point or no, like bagel bites and like, yeah. and people clowned on him. Like I remember people, were like, yeah. oh, but now it's like, he's come around and now people are like, it seems like give him a lot more respect. Cause it's like, I mean, that guy, it, it's insane. Yeah. I've always been. A where, were those, where were those people when he was down here? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the crazy thing is like, he was skateboarding when no one else was skating yeah like the parks all closed down and everybody was like all right that's the end of that and to demonstrate just if, if this if this doesn't demonstrate his amount the amount of passion that he has for skateboarding i don't know what does the, simply the fact that when no one was doing it yeah he was figuring out a way to continue and just keep keep it alive mm-hmm you know, he's, and he's just like, hey, it was fun. Yeah. And if, dude, if you want to, if you want a compass in life, like for, 
for something that you believe in, whether it's cool or not, and having a guy like him to, to look at and be like, hey, dude, this is this is what I'm doing because I believe in it. I want to keep doing it yeah. and have fun doing it. And fuck what you think, you know, like, yeah, you know, that takes that takes a lot of guts. That's like, yeah, why do you, I've always wondered that, like, within skateboarding, there, I mean, there's this lot of people that always, like, for years, people clowned on, like, getting more of those, like, quote-unquote, like, corporate sponsors, but then yeah. something happened, now it's, like, it's just normal, like, oh, you skate for Monster, like, that's cool, like, but there was a while, like, I mean, there's probably some people still shit on that for sure, but uh, yeah. why do you think that is within skateboarding? It's just, like, I don't know. Well, I think, I think that it happened, I think, well, I mean, I don't know why. It changed like that. I mean, you know, the attitude changed towards it. But I think what really happened, honestly, is that the X Games came in and had the wherewithal to know that if we just stick with this long enough, eventually kids skating now won't know skateboarding without the X Games. Yeah. And you shot the first one in Newport, Rhode Island. You got a picture in the book, I think, Colin McKay. Oh no, that wasn't the first one. That wasn't okay. I if I if I dated the photo wrong in the book, I guess I just you know I probably just assumed because they were in Newport, Rhode Island, and I was just figured that's yeah. the only reason that pro skateboarders would be in Newport, Rhode Island. Oh, for sure. I mean, it was everything was the second year. Yeah, sure. I wasn't there the first year. Yep. First year I heard was really weird. Oh, really? People were just sort of like, you don't get this, like. <laughs> <laughs> like cameras and we're supposed to like take our runs like, you know I, I don't that's what I heard but yeah. I remember the team meeting at the second X Games mm-hmm. when all of the pros got together with all of the like producers yep and there was like yeah there was some static there oh I'm sure because the producers are coming at it from like shooting Monday Night Football last week and then they're coming in thinking it's like Actually, they did. They did have a lot of more patience. Yeah. Than I would have imagined. But the the what, what the problem was was that uh, there was just still a barrier there of they just didn't get it. Yeah, it's like another. They weren't trying. I don't think they were trying to be dicks or anything. They just yeah. didn't get it. They just which which you, how could you? I mean, it took them another whatever decade or more, uh, you know, before you had this you know, Tony Hawk 900 moment and those types of things. Yeah. Uh, they just need to, they needed to step back. And I don't think that they realized how important stepping back was for yep. skateboarders at that time. Yeah. But I think that, you know, there are a lot, they, they were around long enough to sort of permeate the industry, the competitive industry of skateboarding. Um, but what's also rad is that, you know, street skating outside of that still existed and was still, Mm-hmm. regarded regarded as the purest form of, of skateboarding which to do those two things at the same time is pretty amazing yeah no doubt and uh you know looking at the book you have a lot of amazing portraits uh, was portrait photography something you were kind of always drawn to and like uh what was were there like any influences to that or anything or because there's even early on there, there's like this amazing portraits of like tom boyle and like uh danny gonzalez and bam margera, bam margera and there's some really amazing portraits yeah i mean i you know i think it just goes back to me wanting to shoot photos all the time mm-hmm. just constantly and just being like oh what's this like this new toy or you know try this umbrella out or whatever and i just wanted to keep experimenting um 
I don't think that I started, I think later on when I started to shoot more portraits, like around 2002, yep. that was more of, an, of a, um, a reaction to um, getting kicked out of spots, you know, being around skateboarders that didn't skate necessarily yep. as, as much as, you know, their people expected them to. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, cool. Let's shoot a portrait. <laughs> get something. Do something with gotta the get something. Yeah, got to yeah, get you know, something. Like, you know, but then portraits became like much more, uh, I don't know. I was sort of, that was a weird evolutional, evolution, evolutional? Yeah. It was a weird evolution. Yeah. I didn't really, I didn't know what was happening. Mm-hmm. Necessarily. Yeah. Um, I just was shooting photos you know so um you know obviously and you know the the, a lot of this uh medium format um half supplied stuff like that um but you know what's funny is actually a lot of skateboarders in the early 90s did not want their photo taken their their portrait taken yeah it just wasn't cool because it was like oh what am i like a model like it's like yeah they're like you know what i mean like yeah. Yo, man, like, you know, but you know, who wasn't like that, who you may have thought was, was Stevie. Oh, interesting. He, he, yeah, he didn't mind it. I mean, he literally was like, I remember the photo on the cover of the book was shot at Wallenberg. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't really have a plan, I don't think, to do anything in particular that day. Yeah. And I think I might have, I think I might have just gotten the, the Hasselblad. Oh wow! And I was just like, he was sitting there, just you know, rolling a joint. And I was like, "Hey, can I take some photos of you?" And he was like, "Yeah, go ahead." <laughs> he was just like, "Yeah, whatever, do your thing." But it was like, it was like a "Yeah, go ahead." Like, let's. I'm gonna continue doing whatever the fuck I want to do. Yep. Be me. Yeah, he had confidence. And if you, yeah, probably a lot yeah. of that because you think about even like I think like <laughs> early on, like being a skateboarder, you're. You're, you're self-conscious as like a teenager and mm-hmm. you, you want to like fit in with the group. And yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's some of that, this being a young, yeah. young kid and stuff like that. Like even as a photographer yourself, like do you always have the confidence to like approach people? Because you, you do need to have some type of confidence to be able to approach people to like make these photos happen, like reaching out to people or like, I don't know, did you, were you always kind of confident, good with talking to people, I guess? Uh. I don't, I mean, I, I've heard people say that I am, I don't really <laughs> see it as much as maybe they do. somebody else might think that I am, mm-hmm. but, uh, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think you do have to have a, something that disarms people a yep. little bit. You're like, I think the, the the thing about shooting portraits of people is like, I want them to be who they are. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people who are shy or don't want their portrait taken have this, some of them have an idea that you're going to come in there and be like, I want you to do this. And like, yeah, you, yeah. Know, like, yeah. you know, yeah. And I've, I've asked people to do certain things, but uh, I think that um, wanting to show who people truly are is 
uh, is more powerful than any of that. I think that that reality is much more yeah. interesting than than fantasy. Yeah, and I think that skateboarders sort of are perfectly kind of um, you know acclimated to that. Like authenticity in skateboarding is really important. One hundred percent. Yeah. Totally. It's like the most critical thing they like they'll clown you on like what type of trucks you skate or like yeah. how you dress and like the music yeah. you skate to and it's like everything it's uh yeah. it's very interesting um, yeah but i think steve i think stevie um coming from a place where he caught a lot of shit for being a skateboarder mm-hmm. i think it, that, that kind of like hardened him up yeah, chip on his shoulder like fuck you i'm gonna do my thing yeah exactly like i'm gonna have the confidence to do what i believe in mm-hmm. and follow the path that i want to follow yeah. and i'm not going to be concerned with what you think i should be doing which yeah. when you when you circle back to that moment of shooting the photo on the cover yeah that's exactly who he is on the cover he is like i don't even know if like i asked him to look up at the camera yeah like he might have just done that on his own yeah but like the fact that i could take a photo of him that i like i mean i'm like oh my god how lucky am i to have this photo and Uh, and what's like been the response for like some of the people I'm, i'm sure it's been amazing to like get to reconnect with some of these people i would imagine like having i'm sure some of you hadn't talked to in years like what's kind of been the response from some of the skaters that were kind of profiled in this book i guess i mean it's been it's been pretty cool like just catching up with with people i haven't seen in 20 years yeah you know uh you know i didn't really even know guy mariano okay until uh until i started working on the book and I, i went and talked with him we had a like a three and a half hour conversation, which wow, sick conversation. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. dude got some really amazing perspective on not just his career, but just skateboarding generally, and mm-hmm. like you know, um, you know, a life in that in skateboarding. But yeah. um, you know, I you know, a couple like a month ago, I saw Jake Rupp for the first time and wow i love jake rob man this like the style that guy dude the best such a good dude yeah Yeah. so so jay like jake guys like jake rub i remember seeing like kevin taylor and kareem in tampa i saw a lot of people in tampa right before covid Mm. um you know ron allen i saw him at tampa like just crazy you know and actually i had connected with brian lottie in Brooklyn when I was working on some of the text of the book Mm -hmm. and he had some really great uh perspectives on on how to you know tell the story and you know how that that era felt yeah but yeah it's really cool it's like you know the interesting part of meeting up with people that you haven't seen in a long time is the the point that where they are along the journey of of having been a pro skateboarder, no longer being a pro skateboarder, mm-hmm. moving on to something else, still being in the industry, feelings attached to, uh, you know, growth and evolving. Mm-hmm. And the guys that have the ability to articulate 
those things were were the were amazing to talk to. I mean, talking to Jamie Thomas, yeah. Like you, again, another three hours of like, wow, like what a His, crazy, amazing, like yeah. insane path. Yeah, I think it, the the quote because I mean I grew up watching that dude forever, but I never would have thought like the quote in the book was like something to the effect of like when he got to SF, he was just trying so hard to fit in and it was just like lost. And it was just like, and he said the reason why he worked so hard and why people kind of call him the chief now was not so much that he was like trying to get after it so much. It was more like, he said he was like insecure basically. And that's how he wanted this basically prove himself. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, and that's not just in skateboarding. I think that's in, in in almost every walk walk of life or, or, or journey that people have is they want to feel uh they they want to be recognized Mm -hmm. and they want to feel like what they're doing matters and they want to show uh a lot of a lot of the a lot of the guys from that era who came from you know uh single parent households or parents who are just out to lunch not involved in their lives i think there's a lot of that that um ended up resulting in um you know the the sheer determination to be the most gnarliest the gnarliest most you know respected skateboarder out there yeah i think there's definitely a connection to those things and it's not just in skateboarding it's like you look at basketball you look at boxing you look at you know almost any type of uh thing that people put their heart into when they're when they're young it's like yeah i want to go out there and prove that i'm i have value or i'm I'm worth something yeah you're you're hungry yeah maybe maybe you know maybe you didn't get love from your dad or you know Mm -hmm. get the approval from them and now proving that you're you know that's but that's i mean that's you know that 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 is something that uh is a common theme for a lot of people growing up it's just that um, a lot of people end up self-destructing in other ways. Definitely. You know, alcohol or drugs or whatever. Skateboarders just happen to find skateboarding. And, you know, I've, I always think of it in terms of the kids who try skateboarding as the ones who try it. And mm-hmm. the first time they hurt themselves. They're done. They're done. Yeah, they're <laughs> done. They're like. You, they tweak their ankle and they're like, I'm not skateboarding anymore. Yeah. And I think there's like a lot, like a dividing line right there. There's yeah. those kids on this side of that, that line. And then there's the other kids on this side of that line that are like, Oh, I don't have a problem with self-destruction at all. <laughs> I'm going to skate this park. I'm, I'm going to skate this oh, park for five hours until yeah. two in the morning. Oh, just destroy yourself. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, and um, the more destructive self-destructive you are, uh, the more people sort of like stand back and and all like mm-hmm. assuming that you're rolling away from the tricks, but yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? a, yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, a couple more questions. I'll let you go. Um, sure. You know, I know we skipped over a lot of stuff, but you, you end up spending a lot of years. I think we were like a staff photographer for Trans World and travel around shooting all types of biggest pros and travel the world. I guess at what point did you kind of make the transition to kind of doing the work you do now? Cause I know you're doing like a lot of really amazing, like advertising work and lifestyle and all types of different stuff. But what was that kind of transition from being like shooting, skating all the time to kind of doing the type of work you do now, I guess. 
Uh, it was hell. It was hell. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, it was a crazy process. Yeah. Like, I didn't realize how little I knew about photography. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew a lot about how to shoot a skate photo. Yeah. But that doesn't apply to very much, much of anything. No. You know, it was like, uh, uh, yeah, I just sort of wandered around the world of photography before I moved to New York, mm-hmm. um, not really knowing what I wanted to do. And that feeling, it, that's a really awful feeling. Yeah, it's got to be tough because like, you're when you're skateboarding or a skateboard photographer, not that you still aren't, but it's like you're at the top of the, the chain. Like there was only a handful of guys that were staff photographers and traveling around the world with the best teams and doing all this. So then you kind of almost feel like once you kind of were trying to find your new path, it's like you're starting from square one again, pr- pretty much. Yeah, uh, from a photography standpoint. Yeah, but even more importantly, from a passion standpoint interesting because if you love skateboarding whether you're a skateboarder or a skateboard photographer or any filmer or or anything like the chances of you finding something else that you like as much as skateboarding yeah are really small yeah because if you had something else that you wanted to be doing outside of skateboarding you probably wouldn't have gone as far in skateboarding as you did Mm -hmm. because that other thing would have caught some of your attention i think so i think that's the hardest thing about it is taking something that you really care about and saying i'm not gonna do that anymore like the the thing that where you get your entire sense of self from where people around the world recognize you as this pro skateboarder or photographer or whatever it's so uh it's really difficult to say i don't say no mm. and just be like i don't want any of that anymore so were you kind of like was it like a you were, were you kind of burnt out on shooting at skating oh or? yeah oh for sure definitely yeah. and if you talk to anybody that i was shooting with in 2003 2004 they probably they probably say yeah he was over it. <laughs> what, what was it that you kind of burnt out on? Was it like the traveler? Just you felt like you were just kind of recreating the same photo over and over again? And what was yeah. it? What did you kind of burn out on? Yeah, definitely creating the same photo over and over again. Uh, but I just wanted to have a bigger voice in the pictures that I was creating. Yeah. Like skateboarding is great, but you, you know, in a lot of ways, you're just, you're just sort of documenting what's happening. You're, it's reportage. Yeah, it's a one-man band. Uh, and you're either there at the right time with a camera or you're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, having a concept that is deeply entrenched in your own sense of, of communicating a feeling or some sort of eliciting some kind of reaction yep. is almost impossible with skateboarding mm-hmm. because you're tethered to these basic rules of showing skateboarding um you know sturt dan sturt i think uh transcended those rules in a lot of ways which is one of the reasons why i just was in awe of his photography i was like man this guy's like yeah the skateboarder is not the most important part of the picture i mean that is that's that's amazing to think about somebody shooting skateboarding 
back then and having that perspective. But I think that, you know, being bored of skateboarding and wanting to do other things and not know what it was that you wanted to do mm -hmm. is really frustrating. Yeah. Like really frustrating, especially when, the, when you're just sort of like, yeah, yeah. Wh while you're having all of these like creative, like, you know, bubbling up creative stuff that you can't identify. Mm -hmm. You're at the bottom of a staircase with a fisheye. <laughs> yeah. You know? Cause what, what type of stuff interests you now? What's kind of got you excited about photography wise? Like what, what kind of gets you excited? I guess. I think capturing people, uh, in a authentic way mm -hmm. and showing in a picture showing somebody exactly some for well this is just one thing but you know it's a big part of it showing who somebody truly is in one frame yeah or showing what someone is experiencing emotionally in mm -hmm. one frame yeah uh that those are those are big goals for me and i think that if you can show somebody with authenticity or capture a moment that makes you make if i can capture a moment that makes me feel something when i look at the picture yeah and then i take that same picture and i show it to somebody else and they have that same it, it elicits the same feeling for them i'm happy yeah no it's awesome man it's yeah. great and that's hard yeah no it's really hard yeah, it's like the hardest thing. I talked to so many photographers and it's like trying to find your voice as a photographer is like it's the hardest thing to do. And it's like I feel like it never ends. Like you could shoot oh. you could shoot one good project and be proud, but then it's just yeah. like, all right, well, that was yesterday. Like, what am I gonna do now? It's like that's it's, Yeah. And, and and as you go through it and become more successful, in some ways it becomes more difficult. Uh one of, I'm still really good friends with Jake Rosenberg and he just did this project. Uh, it's a commercial that's coming out in a couple weeks and I spoke to him about it. He shot it during COVID. Oh, wow. And it was in Florida. He was in Florida and he just, I think he went out there with like two, two guys, like a DP and then uh, maybe two or three guys and they shot this commercial and it's wow. unbelievable. It's wow. the most, it's super powerful. And I spoke to him about it. He's like, I cannot tell you how proud I am of this project. Yep. And he does tons of stuff. He's tons of work and he, his, his work's amazing. But it's like this, the thing that he created during COVID when there's all these restrictions and he flies out to Florida with like a shoestring crew. Yeah. And, and you do something like that. That's what feels so great as a someone who tells stories with pictures or with, with him with film yep. is being able to be nimble and do what exactly what you want to do and leave those door those those tools that we were talking about earlier yeah you know leave those things open for like accidents to happen and serendipitous things to happen over here yeah and it's hard when you have when it's not covid and you have 20 people there telling you yeah man this this year's been tough man like i don't know about you but like i just feel lost because like most of my work is portrait based and it's like yeah it's tough man it's like you're in this situation where it's like yeah there's this virus and you know now every day it's like all oh, the numbers are going higher and it's yeah. like 
it's just a weird scenario to be in because normally I'd be out there like working on some project, trying to photograph some people in their houses or like where they work and all these different things. So it's just been kind of a weird thing to navigate. Like, have you been creating much work during this like last eight months during COVID or like how you kind of been approached photographing if you have been, I guess. Not much shooting. Mm. I mean, but that's also because of the book. Yeah, true. Like book just like busy literally took over my life. (laughs) do it i mean hats off to you man like uh, as you know i've talked to so many photographers like you said people don't realize like it's very expensive to get these things made oh god photographers think like they i think a lot of people get the impression that you go to some publisher and then they pay for it and that's not that's not the case (laughs) unless you're like maybe like annie leibwitz or some big name or something like that but it's like yeah you're putting tens of thousands of dollars into these things and i went on uh i think the publisher uh golf books man it's on back order, man. So it must be, you must, yeah, it must no, no, be. No, I couldn't like literally, I mean, I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't be more stoked with, with yeah. how it all turned out, but you're right. It's like you put so much money into something like this. Yep. Like people, people maybe don't kind of understand how the whole publishing thing works. Like yep. a publisher, if you're someone like me that hasn't done a book before, yep, they don't give a shit. There's there, there, I mean, I won't say they don't give a shit. They do give a shit, but it's on your dime. Yeah. And if you pay to play and people show up and they like your book, then you start to, uh, you have um, with the publisher, you have somebody in place that is there to get your project as far as they can get it in terms of reach. yeah yeah because you're not a risk you're not you're not like a risk, not risk like, yeah, yeah because risk. they're like oh, oh you're like uh you've proven yourself and now it's like all right you have a market because it's been amazing man like my friends on a skate shop out in albany new york called seasons and your yeah, book yeah. your yeah your book came in the shop dude they sold out in like a day or two man it just was just yeah like, <laughs> gone well, that was the thing is like you know i you know, over the course of two years, it was like a roller coaster. Like, yeah. There were points where I was like, oh, dude, this is going to be amazing. This book's going to be so rad. <laughs> and then, like, a month later, I was like, you know, like, I'm going to go into debt and I'm going to be fucked. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. no, no one's going to give a shit about this. I just no. wasted all my money. Yeah. What am I going to do? Like, <laughs> why am I doing this to myself? Yeah. And then it goes up again. And you reconnect with the passionate part of it where you're like, oh, this photo is going to be great. And this is going to be cool if you put these together or you swap them. You're going waves of like depression when you think about the money and all the time they're putting in it. And then you go into these high points where you're like really feeling the project and what you want to communicate and getting that out there in a clear message yep. and then you go back down into here and you're like, <laughs> how am i gonna pay rent and then you go back up here and you know you're like i hope i'll break even <laughs> yeah that's the goal if you can break even that's yeah. a win that's a win man oh, but- <laughs> oh, and it's crazy when you talk to people that are like oh yeah man your book is killing it man you must be making and i'm like no <laughs> uh, uh, i mean maybe i mean yep. <laughs> i mean the hope is that yeah that that's what will happen but i think the bigger picture is that if you've done a book once Mm -hmm. you have the tools to do more yep and even though the margins are so small and you might not ever make your money back it's it's like it's just an amazing project to put your, your your heart into 
yeah man feel it's like i don't know it's hard it's hard to explain just getting to see because like very few people even myself man like i have never done anything like this like all the books i've made are like just you know those shitty like self-publishing like blurb or all those things and it's just like it's not the same like this is the real deal real good paper good editing and this everything involved man and it's just like dude hats off to you man uh thank you and you know a lot of the credit it goes to the designer Mm-hmm. Uh, his name's Jan uh, Grabowski. He's in yep. um, he's in Germany. Yep. So he's a skater. He's you know. Oh, so he got it. So yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Like there was times where I was like, I don't even want to do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> sucks. Like it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. You know? So it was like you know having that is oh god, it's really important. Also, just because you're like, do I put Guy Mariano over here? Yeah. Or I don't know, should I put Kareem here and Amy <laughs> here? And and sometimes, you know, you're in your head so much, people are like, no, these these are good together because yeah, they both wrote for whatever company. Or yeah. they were friends, or these are spots that are that are in the same city, or you know what I mean? Like little stuff like that that only <laughs> skateboarders know. That yep. was yeah, that was really helpful. Yeah. Okay, okay. Last gate question. I'm gonna let you go. I don't want to take up yeah. any more of your time. Uh so my favorite photos in the book, you, you photograph Tom Penny, like at the, at like in his pinnacle to me, like that 95 Europe, like what were those experiences like? Because like, I remember being a kid and you see it in videos and it was like, they had like these contests. I don't know if it was during the summer, but it was like in Europe and they'd have like all these different contests, but you got to photograph mm-hmm. Tom Penny. Like, what do you remember about like photographing him in those like Europe contest days? Cause they just seem like so fun. I mean, I, you know, that's probably the most common. Uh, people are people are really fascinated by him, and you know, particular, particularly, yeah. Yeah. particularly <laughs> in that, uh, particularly in that 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 era. You know, I think he just, you know, he just sort of appeared. Yeah. You know, it wasn't. I mean, I know that he was around before that, but because he was in Europe, we didn't necessarily notice him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just, you know, I think everybody wanted to make skateboarding look easy then. Yeah. Like, people talk about, oh, well, you know, catching your tricks and doing it clean or whatever. Those were the most important things about the, that era of skateboarding. But I think that making things look easy mm-hmm. uh, almost like covers that entire, this is sort of like, you know, the umbrella over that entire idea. Yeah. And I think he just made stuff look really easy. Yeah. To the point where people were just kind of like baffled. Like, <laughs> wait, how did he do? Wait, what? Yeah, he had like a whole mystique about him. Like I remember being a yeah. kid, and they like wrote about him like he was like I don't know, like this. He's like the JD Salinger. Of yeah, exactly, exactly, man. It was just like that. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I grew up with PJ Ladd. That's who I skated with. I worked at Coliseum oh, Skate Shop for years, yeah. and he's like very similar. Like I've known the kid for over like shit, man. Like almost like over twenty years now, and he's still just a mystery to me, man. Yeah, there's just like guys that are just like that, and Tom Penny kind of reminds me of the same type of thing. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, those Europe contests, um, um, I think during that time, 
Mm -hmm. uh, contests were strange, you know, because it, it, it was like, it had just reached the point where the 10 foot quarter pipe that a vert skater could skate in the street contest was yeah. gone. Yep. So it was now it was just all street skaters. Mm -hmm. And I think that for him, um, there, he, there was for that era, there was a, um, I don't, an anti-establishment attitude. Mm -hmm. And I think, he ripped and he made everything look easy and he caught his tricks and he was consistent, but he did it all with this sort of like, I don't care attitude. Yeah. I'm going to skate, think, I'm going to skate, get a beer after, smoke a joint and it's like, live, yeah, my, live my life. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. And, and, and to, to hardcore skateboarders that were like pro that were trying to, you know, land tricks consistently or whatever. Yeah. He was like, where the fuck did this guy come from? And, <laughs> and to skateboarders, couldn't really skate yeah. and loved the attitude yeah. of fuck the world and I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm not going to try and this is, I'm just going to be able he was that guy too. Yeah. Because he was like, I don't care. Yeah. Or, or, or at least skated like he didn't care. Yep. You know, just it's like he'll win the contest and be like, yeah, keep the trophy. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> A total anti-hero. Yeah. Yeah. I and love I it, think man. That yeah, I, I think that 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 he, um, you know, he had that mystique, you yeah. know. Yeah, no, it's all, I love the man. Like, yeah, sorry, no, it was, it was, no, it was great stuff, man. I just had to ask you about it because it that whole Europe contest seemed like a cool thing. Like, I don't know if you guys were like it seemed like you guys would travel around and go to different contests pretty much during the summers. It looked like. Yeah, I mean that one summer '95 where I got in the van with him uh with the flip and birdhouse team so it was like rune uh tom penny paul zitzer uh matt beach reynolds, wow wow reynolds and uh and tom wait who else was with us ollie carnes maybe was with us but you had some bulala stuff with rune in the book like ollie bulala as a young kid yeah that was 97 95 was pre-bulala okay uh, and then 97, I was, I think I was in the van with them in Europe again, but, um, yeah, you know, I mean, it was just funny hanging out with Tom. I just remember him, like he, he was like super stoked on this, uh, police song. <laughs> yeah. He was just like, Oh, it's the best song ever. I'm going to skip to this song. <laughs> it was, uh, spirits in the material world. Okay. I'm going to have to play you know, that, that later. That old 80s song. Yeah. You know, uh, he would just be like, oh, this is fucking bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But just stuff like that, you know, like, yep. just, yeah, you know, he didn't speak that much. He didn't, you know, he wasn't like a big talker. Yeah. But when he, when he did say something, it was either like, it was noteworthy. Whatever he said was noteworthy. It's like, all right, you got a glimpse into his mind. Well, yeah, awesome. like, totally. And <laughs> just, yeah, just unbelievable. Well, Pete, man, um, like I said, big fan of the book. Anybody listening, go check it out. Uh, I'll link it. People go to Golf Books, pick up a copy. Um, but what's next for you, man? Uh, living in San Francisco again. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> right yeah. on. And so, you know, I'm going to try to do as many, like, book things as I can. Hell yeah. Um, they're kind of just piggybacked on other shoots that i'm doing yeah so I'm, I'm going to miami next week 
yep. for a shoot. Uh, yeah, I saw you've been doing book signings at like skate spots and parks and stuff, which is really yeah. cool. I, li- I like well, that. Honestly, yeah, those are honestly like I was in Chicago because I drove across country. Yep. To move. Okay. And, you know, me and my girlfriend, we just stopped in Chicago. I, well, it was like, oh, wait, we're going to go right to Chicago. So we stopped in Chicago for that. And then the one in LA, I was actually on a shoot in LA. And I was like, oh, well, I'll just like, you know, stay an extra day and maybe try to sell some books and go to, this, you know, meet up with some people. So yeah. that's all that this has been like the Miami thing, too. I'm going to Miami for a shoot and I'm going to bring books with me. It's like, I like it, man. It's, it's like that's it's like that real skate attitude, man. Just the way you're approaching it, the skating, it's just it works, man. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> yes, yeah that's all I can really well pete man i can't thank you enough man it's been a pleasure talking to you and uh like i said everybody listen i'll I'll link uh to pete's website and instagram and uh everyone go check out the book but yeah thanks so much thank you alex yeah all right take take care man so there you have it that was the pete thompson interview uh just want to thank pete so much for taking the time to come on the podcast uh like i said been a big fan of his work since i was a kid looking at all his amazing skateboard photography on the pages of trans world and slap um so a real pleasure talking to him and uh yeah definitely go pick up a copy of pete's new book 93 till um it's available at goffbooks.com um i'll put the link in the description as well as pete's website and you can go uh, order a copy of his book it was one of my favorite photo books i picked up this year so um can't thank him enough and as always i'll be having weekly podcasts every monday on apple podcasts spotify as well as the photo banter youtube page Um, so definitely go check that out and as always thanks so much for listening and take care